Welcome to episode 5 of the Lost on the Run with Larissa podcast. Today I had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Howard Weinstein. Dr. Weinstein is the Chief of Pediatric Hematology and Oncology Department at Mass General Hospital and is also an avid runner. He has run the Boston Marathon 28 times and has started Mass General's Pediatric Cancers Marathon team, raising millions of dollars for the oncology department in the process. He's also been able to merge two of his passions into something for the greater good, and it was great to have the opportunity to sit down with him. Here's our conversation. Can you give me a little bit of background, just like who you are, like how you started your career? Just like- I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and um, my family moved um, to the outskirts of Baltimore when I was um, in the fifth grade. And uh, I had a really cool fifth grade teacher who got me very excited about science and experiments. Um, that, I think, was the beginning of my interest in um, becoming a doctor. Can't really tell you exactly why um, I wanted to be a, a doctor, but I knew from way back, um, pretty much by the sixth grade, I was convinced that that's what I was going to do um, for my career. You know, I also, I love, you know, I love working um, with people and especially um, kids more so than adults. And that's what kind of led me into pediatrics eventually. I left... Um, Baltimore after high school, and I went to Cornell University. I was a pre-med student there. And then after graduating, um, I went directly to medical school at the University of Maryland back in Baltimore. Um, And after medical school, I decided it was time to um, to go see another part of the country. So I moved to Boston um, to begin my uh, internship um, at the Massachusetts General Hospital in pediatrics. Um, and I pretty much uh, fell in love with um, Boston, and I've been in Boston ever since I began my internship and residency in pediatrics. Initially, I was thinking about being um, sort of a primary care pediatrician, um, not really being a specialist, and I love the outdoors, and I like skiing, and I said, oh, maybe I'll go to New Hampshire or Vermont, and I'll go to a small town, I'll take care of children, and I'll ski um, and hike. Um, But during my residency, I worked with some families who had children who had blood diseases or cancer, Um, and the kids were phenomenal. I was really interested in helping solve some of the mysteries about blood diseases and cancer. And I said, "Um, maybe I'll change my career path and think about being a um, pediatric hematologist and oncologist. Um, so I um, switched career paths, and I did what's called a fellowship. Mm-hmm. And I spent three years um, learning how to be a hematologist and oncologist, and I've never looked back. Um, so I, my plans to go to a small town in Vermont or New Hampshire never materialized, and I've stayed in Boston ever, son, ever since. A lot of my training... Um, after internship in, at Mass General was at Boston Children's Hospital and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And I spent probably half of my career there. And then um, I had a, like a 13-year itch and I needed to change scenery a little bit um, and decided to um, move back to Mass General. Um, and I was offered the position of being the director of the pediatric hematology oncology program. It seems like just a few years ago, but actually it was 24 years ago. Um, And so I've been the director of the program here. I've loved it. Um, I do um, clinical care and I do research, but my research is um, 
it's called clinical research. So I design therapies, different kinds of cancers. So I'm, so I'm not really in the laboratory, but I work with laboratory scientists who are trying to, uh, you know, better understand how cancer starts and <clears throat> developing new therapies. Um, I do a lot of teaching. I teach medical students at Harvard Medical School and I teach um, internships, interns and residents. Um, now most of my teaching is in the hospital. Um, and I, I love I love teaching and keeps me on my toes. You always have to be one day ahead of your students. <laughs> so I always have a lot of homework. And my, my children have always um, joked around with me and said, Dad, you know, I think you have more homework than we do. <laughs> and I go, well, yeah. And, you know, and that's part of being in medicine. It's, you're always, you're always learning. So what makes you different than the other people that I'm interviewing is the fact that I'm not just interviewing you about running, but that's my primary focus. But it's interesting to hear about your work as well as MGH. So I really like having this kind of two-sided conversation because a lot of the people that I'm interviewing are just runners or they work in a running store. So this oh, is really oh, good okay. for me. Um, but so why don't we talk a little bit about your running? So when did you, um, yeah. start running? So I, it was interesting when I was, um, in high school, I had a mild asthma, um, and I couldn't really run very far. I had a, you know, a little inhaler. And so I played tennis and did some other sports, but I didn't run. And then, um, my asthma disappeared, um, as I became an adult, um, interestingly, um, and I started to run some. And I remember um, I had a really good friend who um, was a marathon runner. And he came, he came to a, a meeting in Boston, a hematology oncology meeting. And he stayed at my house and he said, well, I'm going out for um, a 10-mile run. And I said, 10-mile run? That's, that's a really long distance. I was running like a mile or two. I said, how come? And he said, well, I'm training for um, marathon. And I thought to myself, well, if this guy can train for a marathon, heck, I can do the same thing. And he really uh, did me to, you know, to increase my mileage. And, um, and I started to really enjoy it. Um, and, and then I decided at, at one point, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a marathon just to run a marathon. You know, um, I thought it would really be a, a fun challenge. And I ran New York. That was my first marathon. Um, and it wasn't, it was kind of painful. Um, <laughs> I had a bad knee at the time I ran. But, I, but it was really pretty thrilling. And um and I started also then thinking about um, running marathons to help raise money for specific causes. And being a, a cancer doc made sense that um, potentially, um, you know, get involved and raise money for cancer research. Um, and I, this was when I was over at Dana-Farber and Children's, and I ran um, with the Dana-Farber marathon team for about seven years. And then I left Dana-Farber and Children's to come to Mass General. And I said, you know, this is a really good way to help raise money for a program. Uh, and it's a good way to um, sort of in include some of your patients in the, in, the, in the marathon program itself. And I said, I'm going I'm to start a pediatric cancer team at Mass General. And so 23 years ago, um, I did. We had 10 runners. Um, and each of the runners was matched with a child who was getting cancer chemotherapy. And it was, um, it was really incredible. Uh, the patients loved being paired with a runner. It felt very special. We had a special pasta ceremony for them the night before the marathon. They all got a marathon medal. And, and the runners were really inspired because they, you know, they could um, really relate to their particular 
trial that they were running for. Um, and over the last 23 years, our team has grown from 10 runners to 100 runners, and they're all charity runners. Um, and each year, they, and each year is a, usually a different group. And there's some of the some of our runners have come back um, 10 years in a row, 15 years in a row. They really get hooked into um, the whole program. I um, mean, helping you know children with cancer. I mean, I've been running each year except one year when I had a really bad injury. I couldn't run, um, and you know. I, I just I just love it. It's um, very special. We match about 50 of our runners with patients. Um, it's a voluntary part of the marathon program. And, uh, you know, it's an each year I run um, in honor of one of my patients. And I choose a different patient each year. Um, and it's, you know, very, very special for me. It's one of the highlights of of my year. Yeah, I've heard that you, so you meet your patient on mile 20. So yeah, so we, so um, our team um, has our cheering section at mile 20, in which is right in, in Newton Center. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that I live about um, three or four houses off of um, mile 20, off of Common Ave. And so my wife and a lot of volunteers have a big marathon party that day um, and that's a cheering section for the Mass General Marathon team and so our our patient partners um, their families and um, the families of our runners all meet there we usually have like two or three hundred people um, cheering us on and each of our runners stops at mile 20 um, and you know gives hugs to their patient partner Um, sometimes my patient partner will run with me for a block or two it's really pretty amazing so I I know that if I get to mile 20, um, there's no way I'm not going to get to, you know, Boston. Um, it's, it's so inspiring to get to mile 20. And then if I'm really dragging at mile 18 on the marathon course, I know that yeah. two miles away, I'm going to have an amazing crowd cheering me on. My children are always there. And my family has gotten very involved. I have twins who are now 25 years old, boy-girl twins. But when they started in um, junior in middle school to, to um, have a, a lemonade stand at mile 20 um, and all the money that was raised would go towards the childhood cancer program. Um, and they would get their friends involved. Um, and it was the most lucrative lemonade stand in the world. They used to raise 1500 people would give them $10 and say, keep the change. And then, and then a lot of um, our parents of our patients would bake brownies and cookies and they'd sell that. And then one year it was really hot during the marathon. And my son, Aaron said, I'm going to have a, I'm going to sell slush <laughs> and sold six hundred thousand worth of slush. So it really became part of the, yeah. you know, the whole the whole family got very very involved. Um, so you've run it twenty eight times, is that right? Right, twenty eight times. Do you have a favorite year that you've ever run it? Um, you know, um, not you know not really. That each each year is is very different. Um, two years ago, it was the worst weather, right? Um, yes, ever. It, it poured, you know, and I, and I ran with um, one of my colleagues, um, a, a doc at Master and a woman who um, uh, has run on our team before. And um, we decided to have, you know, a really good time. We jump in puddles and, um, you know, and, and endure the rain. And that was, you know, initially I said, oh, this is going to be terrible. How can we possibly run, you know, uh, continuously in the, in the rain? But it turned out to be, um, you know, a pretty unique experience. Um, and, uh, uh, so despite the weather, that was, you know, one of my more challenging marathons, but also one that I, I kind of 
you know, left uh, along the way because it was it was so unusual and so and so stressful as far as trying to you know uh, keep going yeah. despite the weather. And because you've run it so many years in a row, has it changed over the time for you? Whether like physically changed or emotionally meaningful to you, has it changed yeah. at all? So you know, the, so there've been some changes for sure. Thing that's changed is my um, my pace per mile. Um, it's not gotten faster. <laughs> um, it's gotten so I should plot it. Um, there'd be a unique um, curve going the wrong direction. You know, going. <laughs> um, uh, but as far as you know, as far as um, my excitement and how I feel every year, um, you know, I, I worry that it's you know it's not going to be as invigorating. But in fact, that's not true. Each year is really like a brand new experience for me, and I just I I, I love it, and I. I can't imagine, you know, giving it up, even though my wife says, hey, that's enough. You know, I was supposed to stop at 20 years, <laughs> but um, I said, well, maybe one more and then one more, one more, one more, one more. So it's really, it's really part of my um, being now. Anyway, yeah, I can't I, really give it up. I read an article um, in the Boston Globe that said that people thought you were going to give it up on your 26th as kind of a symbolic thing. But now here you are. I know, I know, and and you know, we raise we raise a lot of money. We raise about a million dollars a oh, year, wow. and all of it goes towards childhood cancer, um, but at Mass General. So it's really special, um, you know. Uh, so it's going to be hard to it's going to be hard to give it up unless I physically can't do it. And if I physically can't do it, I'll still be the team captain. Yeah. Most of my interviews, I'm not focusing a ton on coronavirus, but I feel like you being a doctor, it's a little bit more relevant. So it was a really stressful time for you and for immunocompromised patients as well. So what has that been like for you? And are you running at all to help um, through the stress of it or anything like that? Yeah. So um, I'm definitely running um, when, when, when the weather's nice and it's getting pretty nice. I've been trying to stay in shape because I'm hoping, you know, the marathon's been rescheduled mm -hmm. for September 14th. And everybody's worried that it may not happen. And, you know, but I'm still trying to stay, um, you know, in marathon shape, not doing very, very long runs, but, but still running. Um, so it's been good for my mental health to run. And a lot of my teammates are, are also running. Um, you know, as far as our patients, it's a pretty scary time because families who have a child with cancer are always, you know, very vigilant about keeping their children safe. And so the coronavirus pandemic has added to that stress to the families. Many families are afraid to come to the hospital, you know, and, but, but, but kids who are getting chemotherapy or radiation therapy have to come to the hospital. We can't, we can't do a virtual, you know, or telehealth um, visit. We can do some of those with kids who are finished their therapy or children who, you know, aren't actively receiving therapy. Um, and so we're spending a lot of time supporting our families. We have um, a social worker and a child psychiatrist who do support groups with our families once a week, um, you know, and um, so it, ha it has been really stressful for our families. It's also been financially stressful. So there are always a lot of out-of-pocket expenses for families, whether it's co-pays or, um, you know, transportation to the hospital or food. And so we're trying to help support our families um, and using some of the fundraising that we have from the marathon to help, help families get through this terrible time. And many families, um, when they have a child is you know recently diagnosed with cancer usually one parent if both were working one would stop working and now sometimes both parents are not working because the other parent you know is now on you know has now been furloughed 
are unemployed, so it makes it even more difficult. So, you know, our hearts go out to the, you know, the financial stress and, and you know, the emotional stress of having, you know, a, a child who is, you know, more vulnerable. But fortunately, um, our patients have been done, have done very well and none have, you know, none so far have gotten very sick um, from the coronavirus. Um, I mean, there have been some children across the country, you know, and in, in Boston that have gotten sick, but um, fortunately kids are pretty resilient. I um, mean, it looks like a little less susceptible to, you know, um, you know, significant illness from the coronavirus. And just in general, like, how do you think the running community will change as a result of the coronavirus? That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I think one thing that's really frustrating for the running community is that we don't, we can't do group runs right now. Um, and that, that, that's something that really uh, gets me through the training season every year. I, every single Saturday morning, um, I'm involved in a group run and we have anywhere from 50 to 200 people, um, you know, running, um, and so I, I miss that a lot. Um, you know, I, I, I think everybody's, you know, runners are, I think, hopeful of, you know, having, you know, group runs once again um, and, tra- and, you know, training runs, um, you know. So I, so I, I think people are just waiting, um, you know, for the time when they can, you know, re, 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 you know, regain some of those, you know, fun experiences. It really helps, to, you know, and, um, the camaraderie really helps you to get through long runs. You know, in January, February, if it's 10 degrees running and you, you know, you're at 12 or 14 miles, you go, oh, I want to go home. But if you're running with a lot of people, they're going to sort of keep you going and you'll finish, finish your long run. Um, so I don't, so I, don't, I don't think things will change dramatically because of the coronavirus, but hopefully we'll just get back to old days. Sooner rather than later. You're one of the few people I'm talking to who knows Boston specifically from the charity side, which I think is interesting because when people think of the Boston Marathon, they think of the prestige and the runners who have run and won there. But I think people forget about the charity aspect, even though in Runner's World we we hear about how much money is raised specifically from Boston charities, and it's an, it's a very high number, and it shows the greatness of the charity that we have here. Besides the obvious reasons of your work and how that's tied in, why is charity so important to you? The Boston Marathon, as you know, is you know pretty special event because of, you know, one, it's the longest continuously running marathon in the United States. And um, lots of, you know, very, very famous runners have participated. Um, so there's a lot of history. Um, it's an amazing race. And my my hope has been that um, Boston would have more charity runners than it currently has. So on any given year, if there are about 30,000 runners, only about maybe 4,500 or 30,000 are charity runners. And so my my wish for Boston is that it would become more of a charity event mm-hmm. over the years. Um, I'm not sure my wish will come true. Um, but I think for me, you know, it is, you know, it's exciting to, you know, hear about elite runners, but for me, the heart and soul of the Boston Marathon are the charity runners. You can tell I'm not biased. (laughs) One of the things that I think is challenging specifically about Boston charity is that a lot of the charities have an astronomically high fundraising minimum, and I know it's all for a good cause, but it is hard to reach that minimum, so it's kind of the balance of who has the ability to reach that minimum. No, it is hard for 
a lot of our runners, um, they have to work very hard. Our minimum is $6,500 per mm -hmm. runner. There's some teams that have a higher minimum. The smaller teams tend to have a higher minimum because they, you know, they're having fewer runners. Mm -hmm. um, but our runners are incredibly creative um, as far as fundraising. And all, always, they always meet their minimum and, in fact, go, usually go above their minimum but it is it is challenging especially um you know if you're in your early 20s you know your friends don't have a lot of money mm -hmm. they're going to give you maybe 25 dollars whereas my friends will give me 100 or 200 dollars you know so you know it, it is it is it is a challenge but um but our runners are so committed to our program you know they they know how important their fundraising is for to help you know children with cancer um and i think that you know that's clearly a great inspiration for them to reach their minimum or, or go above their minimum. The last question I have for you, because I know you're busy, is do you have an embarrassing running moment that you want to share? <laughs> um, embarrassing running? I probably had many. Um, so I I can think of one. It wasn't, you know, horribly embarrassing, but um, for the, I used to have a lot of cramping um, when I would hit um, like mile 17, 18, or 19. So I got to mile 20 um, one year, um, and I started to have a little bit of cramping, and I always stop at mile 20, to, you know, for hugs, and I stopped for, you know, three or four minutes because I'm not running, you know, for personal best mm -hmm. time. And, and my legs just froze. I couldn't move. <laughs> um, and... I didn't want to let people know that. So I was sort of like standing like a statue and people were coming up to me and hugging me. And I was just praying that I'd be able to move again. And, and you know, I was fortunately um, able to start running the event. It was kind of a, it was kind of a weird moment though, where I was really um, stuck <laughs> because of, you know, bad cramps. So not terribly embarrassing, but, but, you know, a little different. So that was my conversation with Dr. Weinstein. It was really interesting to talk to him, especially being a doctor amid this pandemic and his opinions on that as well as his passion for running. And as usual, thank you for getting to the end of this episode.